Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Farfetch. Something that people ask me a lot is where I get my style inspiration from. And honestly, I don't really get inspiration from other people. What I like to do is go to my favorite websites and just browse whatever is new. And I do have a really clear vision of what I like and what I don't like. And so I love to look at new drops and upcoming collections from my favorite designers. And my absolute favorite is Farfetch. I have a trip to Paris coming up in a few weeks and I have been curating all of my outfits from Farfetch. So Farfetch connects customers across the globe with items from over 3,000 of the world's best brands, boutiques, and department stores, ranging from heritage labels to emerging designers. They truly deliver a unique shopping experience and they have access to the most extensive selection of luxury on a single platform. That's why Farfetch is always my first stop because they just have the most comprehensive collection of everything that you are looking for. So Farfetch is the global platform for modern luxury powered by an international network of over 800 boutiques and more than 500 designers. You can find emerging labels, iconic super brands, and rare vintage finds all in one place. Start exploring Farfetch now and choose your new forever piece from the new season or pre-loved collections. Your choice, your Farfetch. Welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there's so much information out there, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing my own experiences to help you sift through all the wellness stuff without the BS. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I talked a little bit about this episode on my most recent solo episode. So those of you who listened to that knew that this one was coming, but it's such a fascinating episode. Whether you are into aesthetics and cosmetic surgery and cosmetic enhancements or not. And that was what I was talking about in that solo. So I'm talking to Dr. Ben Talley. For those of you who have been listening to this show for a long time, you may remember he was, I think, one of my first guests. He was definitely one of the earliest guests. And he and I have a personal relationship because he did my rhinoplasty years ago in 2017, I believe, and a few other tweaks along the way. And I thought this episode was so interesting because we did talk about the technical aspect of surgery, but it was kind of more about like the psychology of surgery. At least that was how I came away from it feeling. He talked a lot about kind of what goes through the patient's mind and also what goes through the provider's mind. And speaking of minds, I think he just has a really interesting mind and he's got such an incredible story and he's 
really fascinating to listen to. So I think, like I said, regardless of whether you have a baseline interest in any of this stuff, you are going to really enjoy this episode. So Dr. Ben Talley is a world-renowned dual board certified surgeon specializing in the field of facial cosmetic and reconstructive surgery. He's known for his groundbreaking surgical techniques, his long-lasting natural results, which we talk a lot about today, the natural aspect of things and his dedication to educating others in the field. He's an avid speaker. He's an author. He's been invited to speak at national meetings and contributed significantly to medical literature with his research and publications in medical journals and textbooks. His publications on advanced face and neck lifting techniques and revision rhinoplasty are used to teach doctors nationwide. I think it's also worth mentioning he's very dedicated to humanitarian efforts and he does a lot of work with domestic violence patients as well. So I always think it's nice to recognize those things as well. So he joins the show today to talk about why you shouldn't change your face. I know that might be kind of surprising. He talks about what people get wrong about surgery, why preventative and minimally invasive techniques can be misleading, and they can also be very detrimental. We talk about why cosmetic surgery gets a bad rap. We talk about misleading advertisement among providers and just false advertisement using camera tricks and things to look out for as a potential patient. We also talk about how to find a doctor, which people always ask me how I found doctors. I got lucky with the people that I have gone to, but he talks a lot about what to look for exactly. We talk the best and worst aesthetic trends that he sees. He shares a little about the A-list facelifts he's been doing during the SAG-AFTRA strike. We talk about whether celebrities should disclose their cosmetic procedures and so much more. Like I said, such a fascinating episode. So please enjoy Dr. Ben Talley. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe I should call you Dr. Talley. Sound really official, but yeah, no. We go way back. People always ask, "Can I call you Ben?" I'm like, "It's it's my name." <laughs> That's don't know what else to call me. I was trying to remember when you came on the show before. I think it was right when I started. It was like four ish years ago. Yeah, I did not go back and listen to that episode, and I don't recommend that anybody listening <laughs> does either. It was fantastic. I feel like my interview skills left something to be desired back then. <laughs> but we did get into your background a lot in that episode. And I want to talk more about the aesthetic stuff today. But maybe you can just give a brief background because you have really interesting life experience that led you to where you are today. Oh, sure. Life experience would be, I'll do it as fast. Well, I, I'll do it as fast as I can <laughs> because it's a lot of things. So I was born in San Jose. My parents were born in Iran and they moved away in like 1970. San Jose was fantastic. We moved to LA when we were about 12 years old, so in like 1993. And we moved because my dad had declared bankruptcy. So we had some financial issues and came to LA with no money and moved into a little apartment with our whole family, which is five people. And then our grandma went to high school at university high school, like right there. So we grew up really in the middle of LA. And at that time I was doing like a lot of like piano composing and started getting into like racing cars and I was always into boats and that kind of stuff from early on. Then I went to UCLA and quickly learned I don't really have to go to class. It is worse for me. Like I try to be a good student and go to class more. And the more I went, the more tired I got. So after my first quarter, instead of taking four classes, I switched to like nine, 10 classes at a time and then finished most of my classes early. And that gave me a lot of time to do everything else. So that's where I worked at Guests in Beverly Center. Oh, I didn't I, know that. Yeah, yeah. I worked at Guests. <laughs> I worked at a pet shelter. I was a piano teacher. I was a private investigator for a year or a year and a half. I lived in Spain for a bit for like a study abroad, but did like a, this blood drive stuff when I was there. I drove an ambulance. I was a ski patrol. So this is all like during college years because you just have time. And I did to, you know that time, that whole time that you wanted to go to med school? And did you know that you wanted yeah. to be a plastic surgeon? No, so not that. I decided I want to be a doctor when I was five years old. Like mm. this guy, this pediatrician, Dr. Zlotnick took wax out of my ear and I was like fascinated. Hmm. And the way he made me feel was just very comfortable. Like he has that doctor's hand, you know, that classic. And I just, I, I, I thought I wanted to be that person and like care for people. And as I went through med school and getting towards residency, I thought I was going to be first a heart surgeon. I wanted to save lives. Then I'm going to be a brain surgeon. Then I realized they burn out. 
And then I saw a head and neck cancer and fell in love with it because it's so delicate. And you do these abdominal surgeries and you close it up. Nobody ever knows what you did. So how do you get graded? You know, we're used to getting graded. Like who's better? How good are you? And it's not competition. You just want to really be good at something. Like I like being good at things for myself. I just like to like get better and better and better. That's the game, you know? So head and neck was the best for that for me because it's out in the open and everybody sees it and you can't hide it. So there's no, you know, trying to swipe something under the rug. What happened was I got into head and neck surgery at Columbia and Cornell. So I went to New York, had to sell my race boat, sell my race car. Very sad. I had like a track car, racing boat, all the stuff that I like really worked on a lot. Moved to New York, loved it. But in my third year at Columbia Cornell, I started like crying every day because I was going to, I told people they had cancer and I couldn't do it because they would start crying. I'd start crying. And I, first time in my life, I felt a little bit of like depression. And I've never felt that before. I was always like the happiest person. I had like low energy. I didn't know what it was, but it's because of this. It just, it wasn't for me. So I decided for the first time in my life, I kind of abandoned my commitment. I pivoted and I said, you know what? I'll just do the reconstruction. So I went to the recon, started following all the plastics, oculoplastics, facial plastics. People don't understand me because I have twice as many hours in my life as most people do. So I'm not the person who like necessarily works hard, but I work a lot. And I like to go out a lot and I like, to, I like to do everything. So I was working double shifts. And because of that, I got a lot of experience in plastics and all the types of plastics. And I got exposed to the cosmetic and the cosmetic was harder than the recon. It was just harder to be really, really, really good at it, which is why there's only like 5% of people who are actually decent at it. And I fell in love with the technical aspect of it. So I just wanted to like be better and better and better at that. And I found this other thing that I loved, which was pediatric birthmarks, which is reconstruction and excision of like kids with big deformities. And it's like doing cancer surgeries because they're tumors, but nobody's dying. So mm -hmm. I went into that, did another fellowship, did another fellowship, so did two fellowships, moved back to LA. And I thought I'm gonna become this amazing cancer reconstructionist, birthmark specialist, cosmetic specialist. And then within six months, my practice was full on cosmetic and it was busy. Like, so I was in the first six months I could take lunch and it was amazing. That's the last time I took lunch was 2014. Hmm. Second six months, I was working already 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. and going six days a week and doing Sundays and doing all that. And I got just buried in this hole for eight years and I just couldn't think I had, I lived in a cloud and I was creating, but I wasn't as creative as I used to be. And I didn't like that. Like for me, the fun is, that's why I like surgery. It's like, you don't just go do surgery. Like you make surgery, you make something new and then you show off to your friends. And then they're like, oh my God, how'd you figure that out? You're like, ah, it's nothing, you know? <laughs> so that for me is the most fun of it is creating. Mm -hmm. uh, like I like, that's why I cook, you know? It's like you make something new every single time. You never follow a recipe. It's just fun creating. That's why I used to compose music. I just go sit down and start writing something and it's fun for me to make things. And in surgery, I started losing that creativity because I was working too much and I was so obsessed with the momentum, then I realized it's not valuable to me anymore. It's not valuable being just successful, just going hard. It's more valuable to me creating something and like contributing and teaching. So mm -hmm. I decided at that point I had to back off and it was during COVID shutdown. So it forced me to. And then when I came back, I'm like, forget this. I'm going to go back and work less. Mm -hmm. And so I went from six days a week to five, but five still means six. So then I'm <laughs> like, you know what? You got to go hard four days a week. So I cut it to four days a week. Now I, I operate three days, consult one day, and then I have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off so I can do boating and other stuff. But with all this extra time, I decided to open two new centers. <laughs> so I'm doing like a lip center and energy center. Uh, I started to organize this big book that I'm trying to publish and I've written like three articles so far. So it's like, there's a lot, a lot of hours in the day. Mm -hmm. I like sleeping, but <laughs> got stuff to do. Yeah, no, I, I kind of see your life on social media. I don't think there's a lot of sleeping going yeah, on. Of downtime. I'm <laughs> desperate was, for it, but I was going to ask, like, where do you find your fulfillment now? Is it from the teaching? Is it from that creativity aspect of it? Because you said initially you wanted to save lives. And, you know, I think plastic surgery is still so stigmatized and I've been on the patient end of it and I know how it can really transform your life. But since you kind of shifted from, you know, cancer and and reconstructive surgery to plastics, like, did you lose some of that fulfillment at all? Or did you just find it in different ways? Totally different ways. Totally different ways that I didn't expect. So I thought I always want to be the person that cares for people and uh, they're in trouble and I help them. And I've done, I've done plenty of that. I've done lots of tracheotomies, emergencies. It's like I've done tons of that. And it was, it was awesome. It's like super fun. Um, the gratitude is great 
but I don't need it. I don't like live by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've found that like what makes me happier is doing something that I'm like just really, really good at and then getting better at. So I've become happier and happier just by being the best at a, as, at a facial plastic surgery. And then my patients benefit from that. And it's great. And when they thank me, I feel great, but I'm also not great at taking thank yous from people. Like mm-hmm. I'm always like, no, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> and I did this podcast with this rabbi life coach and he said, well, you're stealing people's ability to like give you something and mm. it's not polite. And I'm like, I, I guess, but I'm not good at taking compliments. I'm not good at taking thank yous. I just want to do something and like give it to somebody and say, here, you know, I like giving. So most of it is from that, just being like really good at something. Like I mm-hmm. like, that's why I like skiing. You know, I like to keep skiing and getting better and better and better every time I go down and practicing. And the other part is the teaching. It's like, I always wanted to be a teacher. My two life goals were to be a teacher or a doctor. And then teacher, you can't be a doctor, but doctor, you can be a teacher. So mm-hmm. I have, I'm a professor in Mexico. So I have a resident from Mexico every month. I have a fellow that I teach and we're putting, it's like having kids, you know, you keep putting out these kids in the world <laughs> and you hope that they reflect you. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I have four or five people that visit me. So in any given day, I have about five, six people in the operating room just watching me. So I, I write that down in my patient instructions. I say, don't freak out if you see four or five people <laughs> They're on the day, they're not touching you. They're not there doing anything. They're there learning. And that's the way I function best. So don't take that away from me. Like mm-hmm. I, that's how I, I, that's how I learn. That's how I, the, the more I teach, the more I learn. Because when you teach somebody, you start to realize your own inadequacies. Like you think you're really good at something, then try to teach it to somebody and see if they can replicate it. If mm-hmm. they can't replicate it, it means you're not as good as you thought you were because you haven't figured out a way to streamline it or to make it simple because it's complicated to you still. Mm-hmm. even though you think you're good at it. So mm-hmm. I've learned that. And the more I teach, the more I see where I suck. Mm-hmm. And figuring it out, tr- trying to teach somebody has really helped me because my understanding of the face, my understanding of people has just gotten so much better just through teaching. So it's, it's, it's for me essential to have people around to teach or else I'm going to take forever to be good. And I'm not a person to wait around. So I'm not the person who waits 20 years to become good at something. I'm like six months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I can't wait. Summer is always a busy time between work, parties, life activities, traveling, finding time for my wellness seems to always take a backseat. But with Aloe Moves, I can achieve my wellness goals and still keep up with my summer schedule. So I love Aloe Moves. It's a streaming on-demand wellness platform. They feature yoga practices, fitness routines, meditation sessions, and so much more from one of my favorite brands, Aloe Yoga. So they have so much variety, which is one of the reasons why I love it so much. All of their quality studio style classes really inspire me to take care of my whole being. So not just my body, but mind and spirit as well so that I can go into the world and essentially be my best self. And they have something for everyone from beginner to advanced, yoga to bar, Pilates, cardio and HIIT classes. They also have really great relaxing guided meditations, sound baths and breath work. So there's more than just fitness to Aloe Moves. They also have gua sha dry brushing. I learned how to dry brush on Aloe Moves and I love it. They have face yoga, nutrition classes, and so much more. And the best part is you need little to no equipment. I've also been doing their HIIT classes. I don't know who I am. You guys know that I did not do HIT for a long time, but I have had so much energy and I love that I can do something a little bit more low key like yoga or bar, which is more low impact, or I can turn it up and do HIT, which I have been loving lately. Allo Moves has tons of fresh content with over 100 new classes added every month, plus over 3,000 classes for every level beginner to advanced. All of the classes are on demand. So when I'm short on time, they have meditation and fitness classes for when you just need to squeeze something in. So this summer, make time for your wellness goals with Allo Moves. For a limited time, Allo Moves is offering my listeners 30 days free plus 20% off an annual membership. But you can only get it by going to allomoves.com and make sure you use the code BLONDE20 in all caps. So that's A-L-O moves.com and in all caps code 
BLONDE20 to get a free 30-day trial plus 20% off an annual membership. Allomoves.com, code BLONDE20, all caps. The Blonde Files podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I had a lot of uncertainty in the past year, as I'm sure most of you are aware. There were some really difficult times there where I just did not know which path to take. And as much as I love and rely on my friends, it kind of felt like the blind leading the blind. So I really turned to therapy and benefited so much from it in those times of uncertainty, not only for clarity, but to help me walk through that uncertainty. Sometimes uncertainty is unavoidable, but therapy can help give us the tools that we need, the support that we need, and sometimes the courage that we need to navigate those difficult times in life. And it can help you map out your future and trust yourself to find the way forward. So I've been a big proponent of therapy my whole life, but especially in sobriety. It's been such a useful tool for me and not only in difficult times, but in good times as well. I think that is a misconception about therapy that it's only useful when things are bad. I've actually gained so much benefit from it when things were going really well for me as well. It's helped to develop positive coping skills, set boundaries. I feel like Therapy empowers me to be the best version of myself. So there are so many good things about therapy. And if you're thinking about starting, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, which is huge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash files today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash files. Are you going on date after date and still not finding the one or getting a text back? Well, you're probably doing something wrong. And I am here to tell you exactly what that is. I'm Lindsay Metzlar and I host We Met at Acme. It's a dating podcast that gives you all the rules and guidelines that you need to date successfully. Hey, it worked for me and now I'm married. So you really should give it a listen if you haven't already. And you can also hear the horrors of dating. Everything that you want to hear is in We Met at Acme. So check it out. What is your aesthetic philosophy and has it been the same since you started? I mean, I know that you've talked about how you appreciate people's faces and you don't want to change them. And I think that is kind of rare, it seems like, in the industry. I mean, it seems like a lot of patients go in with these expectations or, you know, goals of what they want to look like that aren't necessarily aligned with their facial structure. And there are a lot of surgeons that will try to deliver that, but you don't. Yeah. So, my my aesthetic has always been natural, mm-hmm. but there is your belief that your aesthetic is natural and the reality mm-hmm. that your aesthetic is natural. Mm-hmm. So most people live in this like big like fart cloud of reality where they 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 think whatever they want. They're like, oh well, I'm natural. And you look at their patients, you're like, uh, dude, you're you're not natural. Mm-hmm. So I've my philosophy hasn't changed. Like I've always wanted to be natural. However, I was blowing smoke up my own ass back in the day. And when I look at my results now, my, I'd say my, my critique of my own results is much better than what it used to be. And I see things that I couldn't see before. And so I've actually, as uh, even though that was my goal before, now I'm actually achieving it reproducibly. And I've changed a lot from what I used to do because I'm a lot less cavalier about doing things to people because I see all the problems and I want to have somebody come in and out with no problems. And there's always risk in surgery. So I'm trying to diminish it as much as possible to get it where someone comes into my life, they're doing fine, right? Before they met me. And then I cut them up, make them sick. And then they have to like, you know, I was talking to Randall Hayworth about this years ago. He's a plastic surgeon upstairs for me. And he said, Ben, we're, we're in a very peculiar profession. People come to us as doctors and they're, they're well before they get to us. And then we make them sick and then we expect them to heal. He's like, you're prone to things going wrong when you do that. 
And I, I, you know, that really hit me and he's a super smart guy. And it just like really hit me back then. I'm like, yeah, we are making people sick. So I've completely changed the way I do things. So even injectables, when I do fillers and things like that, I'm not looking at how they look now. I'm not trying to get gold now and then hope nothing happens in the future. I'm looking at, if I eject this person, what's going to happen 20 years from now in their face? So let me plan for that. I'll do a little less here, a little more there, a little less here. So I've changed it a lot where I used to do like seven cc's of filler or seven syringes in someone's face at once. Now I get away with one, hmm. two, and they look equally as good, but I'm using less because I'm better at it. And I've done it by necessity and fear because I have fear of things going wrong. I have fear of patients attacking me and annoying me. I don't want them coming back complaining. And if you can do things where they don't complain, you're doing a better job and your life is better. So mm -hmm. it's, it's all out of like self-preservation really. Mm -hmm. And it's worked out great. Mm -hmm. How often though, do you see people and they want to do something? And I think a lot of people, when they go to either a plastic surgeon or an injector or whatever, they want instant gratification. They want to look good now. They're not thinking yeah. 20 years from now. So do you see a lot of people come in with that expectation and maybe you tell them no, or you're more conservative and then they go somewhere else, they fuck it all up and then they come back to you. Yeah. All the time. And the, it starts with people's standards are too high. Mm. So they, they come in and they think that greater is achievable or attainable. They mm. think it is, but it's not because they see people posting about, I'm doing lasers and I'm 20 years old and I'm doing this and I'm 25 years old and I'm 23 years old. And they think that there are such things as like preventative measures, which sometimes there are, but most of the time there's not. And all they're doing is damaging themselves from an early age because they think that there are things that they should be doing to be more beautiful. Where realistically, they're already a 10. They're already a nine. They already look beautiful. Don't touch it. Let it be. You're only going to damage yourself. So that's the first problem that I see. The other is, yes, people come in trying to achieve things that just won't look good on them for whatever mm -hmm. reason. It could be too early in their lives. It could be they already are balanced. It could be that it's a nominal change for a big risk. And I try to dissuade them. I try to scare them. I try to do whatever I can because I see things and I know that other doctors don't see things that I see. And then what will happen is they're going to go to that doctor. The doctor will go, oh, I'm a genius. It's great. I'll do it. And then in my mind, I saw 20 other things. And I'm like, no, you shouldn't have done it. You, you got to wait. You got to do this. You got to do that. So I try to scare people. It's hard to do. It's hard to like chase them and keep them from doing things, but it happens. In my own practice, it's gotten a lot less. So it's really cool with social media. Social media, I put so much out there about natural and not changing and not doing fox eyes and cat eyes and looking like an animal and looking like a Barbie doll or whatever mm -hmm. is going on that the patients that have come to me have now self-selected. So they're filtered. And this in my life is a lot less. It still happens everywhere. It's like all around. But in my office, it doesn't happen much anymore. And it's nice. So I don't have to convince people so much not to do anything anymore. They come to me because they're scared of looking different. Mm -hmm. So I get those people now. And my only frustration becomes like, they're trying to get me to convince them that it's going to be natural. I'm like, I'm not going to convince you. Are mm -hmm. they, they're scared. Well, is it going to look okay? You know, but I'd rather have those patients than the ones coming in saying, I need this. I need that. Can you put in <laughs> dimples in my face? Can you make my earlobes fully symmetric? You know, things that don't matter. And the problem with all these treatments being out there is that people are starting to nitpick about things that aren't real. Like mm -hmm. they're not even visible in real life. So how are you going to treat it in real life? It's visible in a photo. You can't treat a photo. You can only treat real life. How are you going to see it? So there are these treatments, and this is something that, you know, they're going to ask on TMZ later uh, is, you know, some stuff that they want to look like Barbies and do this kind of stuff. And it, the problem with doctors offering these treatments is patients think that it's something that needs to be achieved or needs to be done for someone to look better. Where realistically, if you'd never looked at it, you would have never seen it. It's never a problem. You live your life. It's like smoking. <laughs> Don't smoke a cigarette. You'll never want a cigarette and you're good. Instead, you develop this addiction to cigarettes. Your body starts to crave it. It's the same exact thing that happens with aesthetics. If you're fine with your body and fine with your face, leave it be. You don't need to go achieve other things that will not make any legitimate difference. But people see it, they follow it, and they get addicted to it. Mm -hmm. So the same thing as like cigarettes, nicotine, caffeine, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know how it is for you, but it seems more rampant, especially over the last few years. And I'm sure social media has affected it greatly because you also have, you know, doctors and practitioners putting out before and afters that aren't necessarily like honest. And yeah. I feel like some of the burden is on the patient, but they also don't really know better. And then a lot of that, you know, blame is also on the provider as well. 
Yeah, so it's it's so hard to find the right doctor. In cosmetics, you just have to really, really understand before getting into it, whether you're a doctor or you're a patient. When the doctors in, are visiting me and they're younger ones, I try to teach them how to accelerate in life faster. And I say the first thing you need to realize is that people are morons. And this is how you achieve greatness. This is how you get better at things, is you assume everybody's wrong. Because if not, if they were correct, everything would be perfect in this world. Mm. And it's not. Look mm-hmm. at our last two presidents. Look at like, you know, <laughs> people make dumb decisions because mm. not that many, common sense is common, mm. right? Yeah. They're common. You don't want to be common. You don't want to be average. You want to be the, we're doctors. We want to be the, the best. So when they come in, I tell them, ignore what 95% of people are doing. If 95% of people are doing something, there's probably a better way because they're all getting average results. So you don't want to be that 95%. You want to be the 5%. So I teach them that doctors are generally doing the wrong thing. And for patients, they have to understand this too, because they got to look around and say, you know what? If everybody's doing this and people look weird and we're scared of plastic surgery, I need to seek out that 5%. And you got to start looking for them. And it's hard to find because you have to look at reputation and you don't know this world. You don't know the cosmetic surgery where you know it, I know it, you know, mm-hmm. like other people don't know this cosmetic surgery world. It's, it's lost to them. Yeah. And you have to look at before and afters and the results. And some doctors do have misleading results and it's the patient's job to kind of just get a sense for it. There's no other way. Mm-hmm. Reputation, photos, you look at all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And some doctors do Photoshop. They do do lighting tricks. You know, they do really crazy stuff now. Like there's video stuff that they can change now. And they do in Korea, especially like there's a ton um, where they make a fake video and you're like, no, it's real in the video, but they actually did like CGI stuff. It's crazy. Wow. Um, doctors here, they'll put one light in the flash before, four lights after. And yes. so you have a flash. You can tell in the pupil, you right? You look in the pupils, yeah. <laughs> so because of these little tricks, people have become very skeptical and then they start trolling my page and they're like, your lighting's different. Just because the lighting and the color is slightly different doesn't mean I changed the lighting. It's a the flash yeah. has a discharge. It's yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so people become like super skeptical and they start attacking me for like makeup and the photos. And it's not like, dude, I'm not putting on makeup on these patients. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> they come in with makeup. I I'm feel like that's just the up. climate of social media though now. It's yeah. like trying to get people. I mean, trying I, to get people. I'm on the yeah. receiving end of that all they the time as well. They feel smart and powerful. Yes. They're like, I got you. Yep. They need to feel morally <laughs> superior for a fraction of a second yeah. and then they move on to the next person. Um, you block, mentioned block feature. Yes. Thank it. God for block. Thank <laughs> God for restrict. Thank God for mute. Yeah. Amazing. You mentioned like Fox eyes and I think you said something about dimple surgery, but what are some other trends, things that are popular right now that you see people coming in either requesting or that they've done and it looks terrible and then they have to fix it? Like what are these trends that you hope to see die? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the biggest thing that I've seen is just preventative aging. So Mm. that's like one of the worst things because it just accelerates aging. So this is called like, I call it surgical irony, where a surgeon will go try to like elevate skin as much as possible to improve the appearance of the skin, but it only makes it worse. So that's for me, surgical irony. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of irony in what people do with their face because they're all doing it for prevention. Althera, Thermage, whatever they do, but it's only accelerating their aging because they keep repeating it and it's microwaving their face. So they did it to make it better, but really all they did was make it worse and it accelerates it. So that's the number one thing I need people to like, just chill out on, you know, do the benign stuff. Don't put so much heat in the face. Don't burn the face. Like lasers, we do because we're trying to fix something. Mm -hmm. If you laser someone's face, imagine like the stuff you see with sun damage, right? People get sun damage from years of UV and sun exposure. What you're doing with a laser is nuking the face with UV and sun exposure. You're like (laughs) blasting it with a thousand times the power Mm -hmm. of the sun. And people don't get that that's what they're doing. They're not building healthy collagen. Like Mm -hmm. it is good, like when you need it, but if you don't need it, don't do it because you're going to accelerate things and damage things. That's the first thing people need to chill out on is that whole idea of prevention. Okay. There's not much prevention to do. Especially in your 20s. Like, and I have so many young followers and they ask me, what should I do? And I'm like, your 20s are for enjoying your life and like enjoying being able to sleep for four hours a night and go out and party and drink and, you know, eat whatever you want and be in the sun and like wake up and still look great. Exactly. (laughs) So that's number one. There's And there's medical irony in things where people take like echinacea and immune boosters for their immune system to be boosted. Mm -hmm. And then the echinacea, if you take it for a long period of time and like one study showed it dropped the immune system. It's like, no way. Yeah. Because you're trying to elevate it all the time and your body recalibrates. So it actually drops it. Mm -hmm. So there's things where you just need to like not 
just don't do anything. Just chill out. That's normal. Yeah, like stop trying to optimize yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. So the biggest thing that people have come in for a long time in the younger population was like that brow thing that everybody's trying to achieve. And they don't understand in surgery, you're trying to make someone look more pleasant, mm. nicer to look at. Mm -hmm. And then they'll go do a brow when you don't need it. And they look less pleasant. They look harsh Severe. and stark because they look a surprise on you all the time. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't look good. So those are terrible things. They're, do you see the, that going out of style at all a little bit? It comes and goes. It's like so some people get it just, you know, but mm -hmm. most people like think it's achievable because they thought, you know, that's why Kendall Jenner looks like Kendall. That's why this looks like, you know, mm -hmm. all these people look like the way they do mm -hmm. where at some point maybe they did do something, but most of their lives they didn't have it. And they have like the face structure that can support that. It supports it. It works. Exactly. So that's that thing. In the older population, it was like this myth of massive volume loss in the face and mm. trying to volumize and peanut head and all these things. So you have all these people What's with peanut like, head? so there were maybe five years ago, people started talking about the temples getting hollow oh. and they say, oh, you don't want to be a peanut head. You don't want to be a peanut head, but they didn't teach what the head should look like or analyze the head or mm -hmm. look at the head shape because not everybody's the same. You know, you might have a wide head and narrow here. Mm -hmm. um, they just said, if it's hollow, fill it. So you have this like rampant overfilling of temples, which was done five years ago, four years ago, instead of understanding the face and learning anatomy, they come up with creative shit. Inject from here, inject from there, spackle technique, this technique, temples do that. You know, They do that to give themselves a sense of value rather than just getting really, really good at it. It's like, what was the Houdini is like, you can teach, uh, it's better to master uh, an old trick than to fail at a new one, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really how it is in medicine. So all these people are walking around with overfilled faces and like giant heads up here. And it looks like their cheek goes all the way to, you know, halfway up their head. Mm -hmm. Then there's the tattooing, which has been happening nonstop, like microblading and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Now microblading thankfully has helped a lot of that because the microbladers stay within the hairline. Whereas medical tattooers for brows, just draw a brow on your forehead. <laughs> and they have a brow on your forehead. It's supposed to be on your brow. Mm -hmm. So the tattooing has gone kind of crazy for a while. Calming down now, thankfully. Tons of lips jacked up, tons of brows, you know. It's, so the trends come and go. You never want to jump onto a trend. And for me, it's always a balance between jumping onto a trend and completely ignoring something that could have been valuable, mm. you know, or somebody did come up with something that someone did come up with PRP at some point, mm -hmm. and we all dismissed it. <laughs> I did. I'm like, stupid, you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. makes no sense. But then you really learn more about it once the numbers increase and a couple trustworthy people before you try it. And then you're like, okay, you know what? Maybe I should have listened. So 100 trends will come out. One will stay. One has value. That's really how it goes. Maybe two. It's up to us to listen to all of them, but not be the person who follows immediately because you're just going to be like a lemming falling off a cliff. It's like, and this happens all the time. And many of these things people believe to be irreversible. They're not irreversible. In no way, you know, a uh, few things are, but like most things, it sets off a cascade in your face that's going to haunt you forever. Mm -hmm. So not many things are like fully reversible that we think that are and we feel safe as like temporary procedures that people call temporary. Temporary can have a very permanent effect. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of that? Well, there were, you know, you can get just overfilled. So mm -hmm. you get temporary fillers in the lip and it sits there for a year overfilled expands out the tissue, your tissue will never be the same, even if the filler goes away. So you've expanded it and stretched it out for a year. Now the filler goes away after a year, which it doesn't, it can last 10 years, 20 years, but let's mm -hmm. say it does. And that deflational effect is there forever. You've got expanded tissues now. So those are things that people think are temporary and then it's not. And does that happen like in the cheeks as well? Anywhere oh, yeah. in the face? The whole face, the whole mm -hmm. face. And, and, you know, people who are not super intelligent, when I say these things, they think it means don't do fillers right? versus me just saying, have some fucking taste, like <laughs> do it properly, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm saying because surgery has problems too. I don't say don't do surgery. I just say do right. it right. Do mm -hmm. it properly. Fillers too. Do it right. Do it. Lasers are great too. Do it right. Do it properly. But people just listen to one thing and they're like, he says, don't do fillers. I'm never doing it again. Mm -hmm. so it's more about just doing it properly in a way that where anatomically the face remains normal. Things that you do that'll change the anatomy, even temporarily, they can have long-term effects. Botox can have long-term effects on people. It's not supposed to, but it can. It's mm -hmm. rare. Mm -hmm. Like what? There are people who actually get like muscle thinning and atrophy from Botox and it can mm -hmm. permanently change the appearance of the skin on their forehead. Mm -hmm. It's pretty rare, but it happens. Mm -hmm. It is summertime. It is hot. 
we are sweating. And let's face it, underarms aren't the only place that people have odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi whole body deodorant for pits, privates, and beyond. Lumi has a really interesting origin story because it was created by an OBGYN, Dr. Shannon Klingman, and she was noticing time and time again that women would come to the doctor with complaints about odor below the belt, and then they would leave with a false diagnosis often along with unnecessary antibiotic prescriptions. And she just felt like it was wrong. She was determined to find a better solution. And she realized that odor was more often than not an external problem and required an external solution. So for the better part of 10 years, she worked on finding that solution. And she was able to prove through clinical testing that the real culprit of most body odor is actually the bacteria on the skin digesting bodily fluids. So the same reaction that happens in underarms happens everywhere on the body. So pits, under boobs, thighs, butts, feet, and more. And so she came up with Lumi, which blocks bacteria from digesting fluids on your skin. So it prevents BO from happening in the first place anywhere on your body. So this is absolutely brilliant. It's a whole body deodorant, the first of its kind. It's safe to use anywhere on your body. And it is aluminum-free, baking soda-free, paraben-free, pH-balanced for safe use below the belt. And it's clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. So unlike some deodorants that try to mask odor, Lumi is formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. So it's more like a pre-odorant than a deodorant. They have so many scents. So I think I talked about the peony rose, which I love. I also love the clean tangerine, but lately I've been doing toasted coconut. I feel like for summer, it's just such a good summer vibe. And let me tell you, it works. They have a great starter pack. If you guys want to try, it's perfect for new customers. So it comes with a solid stick deodorant, a cream tube deodorant, and then two free products of your choice. So you can get like the mini body wash and deodorant wipes and free shipping. And as a special offer for my listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with the code BLONDE. Just go to lumideodorant.com. So that equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com, L-U-M-E deodorant.com and use the code BLONDE. I was at an event this past Saturday where I was with some of my friends and ran into some people who follow me and listen to the podcast. And somehow we ended up talking about how much we all love AG1 and the different ways that we use it. And I actually told them that I was going to talk about it in my next podcast. So here we are. Shout out to that group. So I have been taking AG1 for years and years now, definitely pre-pandemic. I can't remember exactly when I started, but definitely before 2020. So I initially used it for gut health and now it's just become a foundational part of my routine because it's like this great little micro habit that has so many benefits and it covers so many bases. So I drink my AG1 first thing in the morning on an empty stomach for maximum absorption. I usually do one scoop in cold water and just shake it up. I really love the taste. It's something that I crave every morning. I also talked about recently how I like mixing it with coconut water as well. Really helps to hydrate the body and then you get all of that foundational nutrition that is in AG1. So basically in one scoop, it is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients of super high quality that give me major benefits like gut support, like I said before, mood support, boosted energy. I honestly just get this zip of energy when I drink it and even healthier looking skin, hair, and nails, which we all love. I also love the travel packs. I bring them with me everywhere. It's so convenient. You don't have to pack a hundred supplements. You have everything that you need right there. So if you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash blonde files. That is drinkag1.com slash blonde files. Check it out. 
So you guys know what I do first thing in the morning for my wellness. And this is what I do before bed. I am all about healthy habits and routines that essentially bookend my day. So I have my morning routine and then I have my nighttime routine. And you may have seen on Instagram that I drink this magnesium latte before bed. And anytime I post it, I get so many messages. It is like something that I truly look forward to all day for a few reasons. So right now, first I'll tell you how I'm making it. I like to make it cold. So I do macadamia milk and one scoop of shut-eye chai from Ned. This is the Mellow Magnesium Super Blend Latte. I blend it in my magic bullet. I keep it in the fridge all day, similar to how I make my matcha. And then I drink it in the evening, like an hour or so before bed because it has so many benefits. It will help to calm your nervous system. You kind of nourish your senses and it really helps me to drift off to sleep naturally and stay asleep, which is a huge thing for me. I always just feel so relaxed after I drink it. And also it tastes amazing. So it combines adaptogens, aminos, functional mushrooms, and magnesium. So really the best ingredients out there. It's all wrapped in this heavenly masala chai inspired spiced body. So think cinnamon, clove, ginger, all that good stuff. And it doesn't just set you up for amazing sleep. It has ingredients like chaga, reishi, and ashwagandha that are deeply nourishing to your body. So you're getting a ton of additional benefits. As with all of Ned's products, it's crafted from the highest grade single origin ingredients, ethically sourced from some of the world's best small scale farms. I have really noticed such a big difference since incorporating magnesium into my routine. And I started with Ned's Mellow Magnesium, which I still love. I posted about how I like to travel with them because they do have individual packets. And then, of course, when I'm home, I love the Shut Eye Chai. So Shut Eye Chai does not contain CBD. Of course, it doesn't have any caffeine. It doesn't have any melatonin, so no grogginess in the morning and no dairy. And right now you can discover how Shut Eye Chai can revolutionize your sleep and you can get 15% off with the code BLONDE. Go to helloned.com slash blonde or enter the code BLONDE at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash blonde to get 15% off. Sweet dreams. If somebody is listening and they're not sure whether they are ready for surgery, I mean, how can somebody know what to do? Like, what are some of the more minimally invasive things that somebody can do before they're ready for surgery? And how do they know how to navigate that? Do they just have to really do their research and find a good yeah. provider? <laughs> so lots of research and there's websites like Real Self and things like that, but mm -hmm. you, you can end up going from researching to rabbit hole. So you, yes. you don't, you know, and it goes very, very quickly. And I think Chrissy Teigen talked about that. Like she got caught in this rabbit hole and that's how she like found my name somewhere where she's like, I just went down and down and down and then finally found his name. And he's like, don't do it. <laughs> so it's great to research and gain knowledge, but don't believe what you're reading. So that's the thing you're researching. Research doesn't mean you prove something. That's what COVID mm -hmm. like was insane. Everybody's like research showed. Mm -hmm. Research means you looked into it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you proved it. You yeah. looked into it. Yes. And so, everyone says, oh, I did my own research. It's yeah. like, yeah, you just, you read stuff. You like, read stuff. That's all it is. <laughs> so researching is looking into it. So you should look into many things, but don't assume any of them are correct mm -hmm. until you get the true expert. So research all you can and then get a true expert. And now there's an app coming out called Persona which is going to be the greatest thing ever. It's going to be doctors who are like on, on demand. So you have, you know, everyone's in this app world and they want an app. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be doctors who are like certified, meaning they're board certified and they're vetted to be smart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, who vets uh, them? There's a whole board. Oh, and they'll, of other doctors? Of other doctors. Okay. And you can go on the app and say, okay, I'll do a consult with this guy really fast. And It'll be midnight somewhere, but there's a doctor in Dubai who's a great doctor and he's vetted and he's awake. Mm -hmm. And so, because they're in different time zones, so they do a, a consult with you, but that's that's a great way to do it. And you get a couple opinions like that and it helps guide you because otherwise you're doing the research on your own and maybe what you find is correct, maybe not. You know, you don't know that. There's whole online forums that, and it's thousands of people on them, 
with people who are just clueless. Like they are wrong about everything they say. And because they believe something and they read someone else that said the same thing, they think that both their assumptions are correct because they're the same. That's not scientific, but that's how people, you know, go. So it's always good to start with your own research. Don't assume anything's correct. Then go ask an expert and ask a few of them because you may get completely different opinions and then they'll help guide you and they can help guide you. Even if you do this early in life, 20 years old, they'll be like, don't touch it till 40. Don't mm-hmm. touch it till 30. <laughs> maybe five years do this. Maybe this is never a bad idea to get that kind of plan. So you don't waste time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just so hard when you get something in your head that you want to do or something that you want to fix or you feel like you don't like something. It's hard to receive that <laughs> feedback and be like, no, OK, you got to wait you know, a few more years. But there is kind of it seems like there's this window where you'll get a better result if you wait for things to get worse, right? Yeah. Yeah. And some people need the why. So like I've told people not to do things, but I never fully go into the why because there's a thousand reasons. Mm. You know, it's not just one reason. Mm -hmm. It's me just saying, don't do it. Trust me. It's not going to work for you. And it could be functional reasons. It could be uh, aging reasons. It could be a million things that I'm seeing and I'm thinking about. And it's hard for me to tell them. So like filler, someone comes in and says, you know what? I want to do filler here to lift it up. Here again is a uh, surgical irony. irony <laughs> is you want to do that, but then the filler sits on your muscle and on your specific muscle type. If you do that, because this, your mass is perfectly thick, you're going to have resistance in your orbicularis and the muscles lifting you and your smile is going to drop. Hmm. You know, So there are those things that like are so difficult to see and explain, but you just get a sense of it. Mm-hmm. And we try to impart those onto people, but it's, it's difficult too. Mm-hmm. Are there any trends that you see now that you actually like? I mean, I know you don't like trends in general, but do you see things moving in a direction where you are feeling encouraged? Are people kind of returning to this more natural aesthetic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the injectable world, incredible changes now because people are really backing off the amount of fillers that they're doing now that they know it lasts 10 Mm -hmm. years or forever Mm -hmm. and that they're permanent. (laughs) Temporary fillers are permanent. So that's one great thing. They're dissolving some of this stuff. And with all the dissolving, people also have realized two things. One is you got to be really good at dissolving because there's a lot of damage in there. And there's a lot of damage that was done that we didn't realize was being done. So that's another reason to do less filler, more conservative. Uh, so there's that trend and there's a stem cell trend, which is amazing. What most people call stem cells are not stem cells. They're not at all. It's like a, it's a, like a nice little keyword that people use and it's cute, but it's not stem cell. However, there are progenitor cells, growth cells, signaling factors, all that kind of stuff. And we're seeing a lot more in this whole regenerative medicine realm with injections of of exosome, stem cell, nanofat, PRP, and finding ways to heal tissues that were damaged without damaging them more with like lasers and radio frequency, Mm -hmm. which I use those things too, Mm -hmm. but sparingly. So I, I see a lot of things going in that direction, which is fantastic. A lot is going into the direction of more natural surgery because there's so much of it out there. You see, you can get a huge change and look natural. Mm-hmm. You know, you want the big change and natural. You don't want the big change weird. It's not fantastic. It doesn't function well. Yes. So we're seeing a lot of it go to that. And that's mostly due to social media. So social media, as bad as it is in one way, fantastic in all the other ways of like teaching and showing real results and what's possible out there. So you don't think that you have to look fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there is still a misconception that plastic surgery looks plastic and that if somebody yeah. has something they look done. I see a lot of these comparisons before and after of celebrities. And there are so many people who like don't want to believe that celebrities get work done and they'll see a side by side and say, oh, it was just aging and they lost weight. And it's like, well, no, they're the same weight. And when you age, things generally fall. They don't lift. But I think people who don't have any education or they don't know anything about this, they associate plastic surgery with looking fake and they, they can't reconcile that somebody would look natural. You have a lot of celebrity clients, right? Yeah. It's hilarious. I'll be sitting with my mom at dinner and she like looks over the TV. She goes, Benny, see, people don't need to do surgery. Look how beautiful she is. Oh my mom, I did a facelift two weeks ago. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? So so it's a a double-edged sword in, in, in this whole like seeing celebrities and them talking about it or not talking about it. Let's say celebrities don't talk about it. Then People don't understand, well, they did do something Mm -hmm. sometimes to get that way. It's a disservice to people if they, you know, by the celebrity, they think that they have an obligation to the public. They're actors. They don't, you know, they act for a living. But, Mm -hmm. um, and they think, you know, that they need to tell them that they do plastic surgery so they can assume that they look that beautiful naturally. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is if they say they do some plastic surgery, 
then everybody out there thinks that they look beautiful only because of plastic surgery and that they can achieve that too. Mm -hmm. And they start chasing it. Yeah. So there's, and there's no good answer for that. It's like I agree. either way, know it, not know it. You know, people could look Madonna mm. or they could look mm -hmm. like Jennifer Aniston. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's different ways to go with, with plastics and, and how you look. But certainly you could look more fake with bad stuff and you could look perfectly natural even if you have 20 good things done to you. Mm -hmm. But the key with these before and afters is assume nothing. Some celebrities get it done, some don't. Some look better when they age. If you look at like Kylie's photos, the most of the changes in her face, most of them, the big ones of slimming and this and that, we're not bony changes, we're not this and that. It's like her face slimmed out as she got older. Mm -hmm. Like that happens to people all the time. It's just you don't have a microscope on them from when they're five years old like you do with you know, Kardashians. So mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> people have to realize it's a, it's a combination of things. Could be surgery, could be whatever. Assume nothing. A very diplomatic answer. <laughs> yeah, but that's, you know, that's how you got to look at it. Assume nothing. Are you seeing like an uptick in surgery among celebrities with the strike? Yeah. I'm sure everybody's asking you this. Yeah, the, so the real answer to that is yes, the rich celebrities. <laughs> so the celebrities yeah. that are well off and don't get affected by the strike, and have been waiting around and are super, super, super busy all the time. So the BA list, they're getting it done rapidly. And they were preparing by doing like, they did consults with me like four months ago when they heard with the writers starting <laughs> it. Mm -hmm. So they jumped in. I did just a ton of them this week. Facelifts. What's up? Okay. Yeah, facelifts. The lower end ones, CD list, whatever, or who don't make a ton of money, they're like, I don't know when I'm going to get paid next. I don't want to get paid next. Mm -hmm. But it's not that people aren't working. It's SAG-AFTRA. <laughs> they're, they're not working when you look... Over, like, there's a bunch of productions from Germany, from France, from Switzerland, which the production company is owned by uh, a different country uh, or not SAG after, and they're here in the US, and those actors are still working. So, mm -hmm. those ones are fine and mm -hmm. they're not doing anything. So, it's the ones that are more SAG after, really, really high end that are doing it. And then the ones who can't afford it right now, they're holding on to their money because they don't know when they're going to get paid next, whether mm -hmm. they're producer, writer, director, whatever they are, you know, they're all on hold. Mm -hmm. What is the downtime for a facelift? Facelift downtime? Depends what kind you do, but the kind that I do, the weekend lift is like nothing. So you do a weekend lift, which is an internal neck lift. It makes your neck look amazing. That's maybe like 10 days you look good, mm -hmm. decent. For a regular facelift, like the aura lift that I do, it's about three weeks till you look decent, passable, disguisable. Mm -hmm. But three months is like when your twin can't tell. So mm -hmm. three months you can stand in front of your siblings and they can't tell. And you're only 20% healed. Mm -hmm. So you keep healing any surgery, heal over a year, three years, five years, things keep changing internally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's another misconception. People think facelift and they picture someone walking around with a bandage around their head for, you know, yeah. months or something. And I think they don't realize that like, it can be pretty undetectable to somebody who doesn't see them every single day or something, you know, if they're out and about after yeah. a few weeks. Yeah. After a couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that you need to run because you need to talk to TMZ. <laughs> But if you want to quickly tell everyone about Cupid, Cupid Lips, yeah. what's the name Cupid of the lips. syrup? Cupid so, Lips. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we have Cupid Lips and Etern. Etern's our energy boosting center mm -hmm. that's in Beverly Hills. But Cupid Lips is like my baby now. So out of creation, <laughs> <laughs> this is like one of the things I'm excited about. Uh, the whole idea was to put lip centers in different areas in the country where we have quality control because uh, I try to teach people how to do this and it's a really difficult surgery to get perfect. It's really hard, hard for me, hard for anybody. So that was the idea. Then I realized, you know what? We need just a lip specific center for injections, for lasers, for aging, for products, for everything. So I decided to start Cupid Lips, which when you walk in, the first one's on Sunset Plaza. It's in West Hollywood, dope location. Like when you see it, you'll die of the design. It's awesome. You walk in and it's just a retail store. So it looks like Sephora, but it's just lip product. So lipstick, lip balm, lip moisturizer, lip tint, lip sunblock, everything. Mm -hmm. And then behind is the clinic. So there's like five exam rooms. We have a couple of amazing injectors, Jen Hollander and mm -hmm. Taylor Supiani now, and we're going to grow. And uh, they do lip injections, lip dissolving, lip lasers, lip wrinkles, like anything you can name for lips, they do. And uh, then once a week, twice a week, we're going to have a surgeon come do the lip lift. So the Cupid lift, which is where all this came from. So we have the Cupid lift, Cupid Lips, which is the store, Cupid Compendium, which is the video library that's going to teach doctors, the Cupid Caliper, which is the caliper <laughs> I designed, Cupid Calculator, which is the app that I've developed, which is going to be insane because it's the first one where you can actually realistically show what the lip's going to look like and it helps the surgeon design it. Wow. And this is all based on, didn't you come up with a formula? The Cupid algorithm. Uh -huh. So that's all it is. And it's not even, the name Cupid is not Cupid's bow. Mm -hmm. It's the lines of the lip are central peak intermediate diagonal, CPID. That's Cupid. So it went from there. And that's how I got the kind of 
catchy name. Mm-hmm. You know, we all want acronyms. So I came up with an acronym. <laughs> Amazing. Well, can't wait to go. Can't wait to go to that party. Yes. You're going to have a great party. I'm going to have two and you're coming. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Well, tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah. So I'm I'm Dr. Ben Talley at on Instagram. And then we have Cupid Lips of Beverly Hills, which is our main Instagram for, for Cupid. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. You can go to ariellaurie.com. And I'm always posting about each episode over on my personal page at ariellaurie. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.